Welcome to All Things Vegas, nourishing self-care for the helping professional. During our time together, we will explore a wide variety of topics relating to self-care, all especially geared to the helping professional. Our guests are all thought leaders and cutting edge providers in their respective fields of endeavor. They will offer not only helpful insights, but practical skills that you can begin to use immediately. Dr. Tracy Clark is a board certified manual osteopathic practitioner and holds a doctorate and a PhD in integrative medicine from the International Quantum University of Integrative Medicine in Honolulu, Hawaii. Dr. Clark's doctoral research focused on the influence of observation, entanglement, placebo, and nocebo on the outcome of healing. This passion for quantum science has enabled Dr. Clark to create courses for anyone who wishes to incorporate these concepts into their professional practice or personal healing journey. Hey, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to um, have you on the podcast today. So I'm really interested in the topic of, I mean, everybody is, is especially with the with the post-pandemic, well, I guess it's not really post-pandemic, but with all of the upheaval in people's um, emotional states and the things that are happening in the world and our improved, I think, increased awareness of the importance of mental health and our emotions, I think this is a great time to talk about this, talk about this topic. So can you start us out by explaining uh, what you mean when you are talking about a different way or a different view of emotions and what that actually has to do with our neurobiology. Absolutely. You know, I think you're, you're so right about that, Kathy. We're coming out of a really challenging time. And it, mm -hmm. I mean, we're still in a very challenging yeah. time, pretty divisive time. There's a lot of uncertainty for people. And I think from a Western standpoint, we have not really been educated well into the understanding of emotion, how it works for us, really, why does our brain produce these chemicals? What is it designed to do? I think from a Western perspective, we have a tendency to think of emotion um, from a negative standpoint and, and really one in which we are trying to um, disperse, release, get rid of, instead of really understanding these very, very important chemicals and how they influence movement, how they influence our experience of ourself and of our world and our capacity to navigate through challenge. So today, you know, the hope for me is just to give you some ideas yeah. for your listeners, whether they're professionals or they're working with clients and giving them a tools in which they can help clients to really learn to embrace, to understand, to utilize their emotional state, their emotional experience in a productive, positive, healthy way. Exactly. So I think you know, the uptake that I'm getting so far is, is that we, we have potential energy to use on our own behalf. Yeah. Can you say more about that? We sure do. You know, I'm going to talk a little bit from a Chinese medicine perspective, okay. because I think from that philosophy, there's a very different understanding of emotion and one that I think we can all learn from. And that is that in Chinese medicine, there are some very important theories or philosophies that help us to understand the interconnection of the body, of the mind. And their perspective emotion is that there are five core emotions, five core fuels that drive motion in our, in our physical body, in our mind, in our spirit, through our day. And these five core emotions, as you mentioned, are resources. They're designed to promote movement, 
and that movement being a a very vital um, source of capacity, not only to heal and to stay in a state of health, but also to engage in and interact with our environment. Now, from a Western perspective, we had some um, very important contribution to understanding the chemical dynamic of emotion from Dr. Candace Pert. She wrote a very important book called The Molecules of Emotion that come at that fuel, that um, uh, catalyst, if you will, from a um, chemical standpoint and the understanding that when we experience an emotion, our brain produces a chemical, a neuropeptide that creates a response, a cellular response that Chinese medicine told us about over 3000 years ago that promotes movement and response to the environment. So rather we come from a Western standpoint or an Eastern standpoint, I think it's a, a wonderful opportunity for us to learn so much more about what these chemicals or these energies are contributing to us. What is that resource that we have when we really understand what they're trying to get us to do and how to use it in that positive way? So kind of the the take I'm getting on this is, is that one of the mistakes that, that we make or one of the errors that we make is actually assigning good, bad, right, wrong, uh, positive, negative to our emotional experience. Am I, is that, am I following you correctly? Very well stated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I know that when I started this field of work, I really didn't understand these very concepts that I'm sharing with you today. And I think they were really life-changing for me and helping me to understand what an emotional state is really all about and how to use it in a productive, positive way. And so in really my introduction to Chinese medicine, um, quantum medicine, the energetic nature of health and wellness helped, helped or gifted me, I would say, with a very different relationship to emotion. So what I'm alluding to here, I think I really need to lay out on the table. Yeah, what yeah. am I talking about? So from a Chinese perspective, the five core emotions are uh, anger, joy, sadness, and I'll talk about why that's the same thing, worry, uh, grief, and fear. Okay. And these are five movement potentials. They're all designed to create movement. They are a resource for us in our daily life. So anger, for example, is the energy that the body and the mind uses to be productive. It's the energy of motivation. You used it to get out of bed this morning. <laughs> right? Right. We use it to get through our to-do list of the day. We use it to um, act on, on something that needs to be addressed, to plan, to organize, to make a decision, to communicate clearly. That's actually anger that fuels that. But in a Western perspective, we don't call it that. We don't right. look at anger necessarily right. as motivation or productivity. Joy, sadness. I mean, joy, of course, I think for most of us, we're very aware. We we do tend to think of that as a positive thing, right? But joy really is uh, the energy of compassion. It's the energy of trust. It's the energy of inspiration and anticipation. It is an energy of connection and of course, love. But sadness is also joy from a Chinese perspective. Sadness is the capacity to recall joy from something joyful in the past. And when we do that, to experience joy in this moment. Mm -hmm. So again, sort of a different uh, experience or I would say reframing of what that emotion is about. Right. Um, if we look at worry, it's the fuel to think clearly to solve problems. Uh, grief is the ability to let go of what we no longer need and to discern what is useful and what are we ready right. to let go of? 
And it's the energy that helps you clean your closet, (laughs) purge the garage. Right. And then uh, lastly, fear is the capacity to say no to something that's not supportive of us, to create boundaries, to maintain those boundaries, to move away from something that's not supportive and toward things that are. Right. Exactly. So So it's very useful, I think, if we start to understand that, um, that these things, these, these experiences that we have, these emotions that arise in us are actually asking us to do something. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think that there's a bit of a process of learning how to work with emotion in a positive way. You know, first of all, emotion arises from typically a belief or an expectation that is either most often not met, (laughs) (laughs) therefore creates a bit of a conflict and an opportunity to move through that conflict. I also, I love how uh, Chinese medicine defines health. It's the capacity of an organism to adapt to challenge. So, so the energy of emotion gives us the fuel to adapt, to address a situation, whatever it may be. And um, so, first of all, I think in in learning how to use these emotions in a positive, resourceful way is to first be able to identify what the emotion is that I'm feeling at the moment. Right. And then secondly, what is it trying to get me to do? Exactly. Yeah. You know, we didn't come with an instruction manual, unfortunately. (laughs) Nope. We didn't come with a manual. We have to figure it all out. Yeah. But the thing that is interesting about this is I'll also, and what I, I think um, is fascinating is the connection between these experiences and what is actually going on in the body. Why do we have the body sensations that we do, you know, that we like, there are things that I've, you know, I've identified as when I feel when, when fear arises, this is my body sensation. It, it, it kind of helps me understand without getting down into the weeds, you know, overthinking things. It helps me kind of get clear about what, um, my body, what my mind is asking me to do. Is that a a fair assessment? It sure is. And I, I think that it's important, or I should say there is a challenge for many people to tune into their bodies. You know, a lot of times the one way that we, we, learn to cope is by disassociation a little bit of the messages of the body. And the body is an incredible messenger for us to be aware of a change of, of state, whether it's a pain sensation, a symptom or an emotional sensation. And I think, again, one of the first steps is really tuning into that, Mm -hmm. you know, what is the sensation that I'm experiencing? What does it what is it encouraging me to do? And sometimes it is the fear of getting out of the way, right? This is a a heightened fear response that helps us to move away from potential danger, whether that's, you know, a bus coming at us or it's an extra bill we didn't expect in the mail. Um, You know, the anger sensation might feel very different, but if we understand that that situation or that sensation rather is promoting communication and action, we can look in and either stay in the sensation or invite the action. Right. And um, you, you make a very good point there, Kathy, about, the body is giving us that feedback all the time, but how, how acute are, or how uh, acute is our awareness? Right. Right. Exactly. Messages. <laughs> right. Exactly. So would you help uh, me and the people listening to our podcast? Can you help us understand a little bit more clearly um, the ebb and flow of the biology of the chemistry of these emotions? Um, so they arise and, um, 
And then sometimes it feels like it sticks around for a really long time and we have a hard time getting rid of it. We have symptoms that arise. We get uh, illnesses that develop as a, as a result of our, our relationship with our emotions. So could you speak a bit to that also? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if we think of emotion as chemical in nature, because it is. Yeah. realize that the chemistry of the body is in a constant state of change. Obviously, the body is producing hormones, it's producing uh, neurotransmitters and these neuropeptides that are essentially messengers to our cells. Our cells have very important receptors that are receiving the information from these chemicals and responding accordingly. And if I take sort of the emotional component out of the neuropeptide of emotion and just talk of it about it like a signal, Right. At, at a cellular level, the energy of anger or the neuropeptide we call anger is what the cell uses to produce, you know, to to create action, to communicate to its uh, its community. Right. Um, the energy that we we call worry is a very important chemical for detoxification in the body. So at a cellular level, like any hormone or or neurotransmitter, these neuropeptides are are providing resource, delivering information to the cells and the cells would respond accordingly, right? If we scan out a little or span out a little bit to more the emotional component of it and our experience of it, because it's chemical in nature, just like any other hormone or neurotransmitter, if we have a uh, surge of it <laughs> and the, the microcosm, the cell or the macrocosm, right? My, my, own mental um, and physical response to it is not immediate, it will stay waiting to be addressed essentially. Okay. So if when we utilize a chemical, the body will release, it. it's not needed anymore. It's metabolized and released from the system. If it's not utilized and is still trying to deliver a message, it can stay in the environment of the cell. Okay, so let's say that we have uh, not only an acute surge of a neuropeptide production, but we have an accumulation of a neuropeptide production because there is a, a potential resource trying to create action, trying to create motion at the microcosmic or macrocosmic level. It's not being utilized, so the body keeps producing it and it mm -hmm. accumulates in that area. Now, this is a chemical, so it can change the chemistry of the tissue. Right can accumulate and, and become a toxin to that area that can literally change structure and function as a result of the accumulation in the tissue. Okay. So being aware of that, that helps us start to understand why there are specific kinds of disorders, diseases, um, lack of health associated with some emotional states. I mean, it starts to help us understand why these things, I mean, we're all, I think, pretty aware of, you know, stress-related diseases and the influence, for example, that they have. But this starts to help us understand that it's um, a chemical, biological um, situation, not just a mental, I mean, it's a mental state, but it's not just that. Yeah, of course. And I and I think it's an accumulation through a lifetime of experience. Right. You know, right. It, right. it's impossible, I think, to separate the mind and the body and the standpoint that emotion is a result typically of thought. Right. 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 So it originates there. And a lot of those the thoughts that we have, the beliefs that we have are conditioned. They're things that we've accumulated through our life. Mm -hmm. And they can become quite habit oriented as well, because as humans, we're pretty habit driven. Right. right. <laughs> and Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so as a result of that, there the 
accumulation, or I should say the stress accumulation of a way of a perhaps limited way of addressing challenge can cause accumulation of chemical as well. And of course, can show up as symptom. As you said, you know, I think 90% of dis-ease in the body is simply stress in a physical expression. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So because we are really focused in this podcast for our listeners to give them some practical Mm -hmm. skills, some ways that we can start to work with utilizing. And I, I love the idea of, of utilizing these chemists, this chemistry as a resource. So can you speak a bit to, so, so how can we use this? I mean, we have all this stuff. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I think I'll keep it really simple because learning to use the emotions is really just identifying what, what is the action it's trying to create? So I, when I'm working with my own clients, I always educate them in this. Uh, you know, we do tend to have our go-to emotions. I know that worry is the big one for me. <laughs> so, you know, we always tend to have our, yeah. our go-to. But if we can learn uh, what to do with that energy, it really changes our relationship with that emotion or that sensation. So um, I like to have one word associated with each emotion of what I can do with it. So for example, if I'm feeling angry, right? Frustrated, irritated, aggravated, you name it, any one of the array of flavors of anger. And I'm aware of it. I can simply ask myself, is this anger being productive? Mm -hmm. Right? Is this creating change? Am Mm -hmm. I using this in a productive way? Most often, (laughs) the answer is no. (laughs) So that it's about finding something you can do, right? Rather, it is, um, you know, cleaning the house or crossing some stuff off on your to-do list, Um, trying to find an area where can I be productive with this energy? And it's not always uh, easy to be productive in the situation that's brought it up to the surface. So that's why I will teach my clients, find something you can be productive with. Right. Rather, it's just making the bed, right? That takes that energy and uses it in that productive way. Right. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, worry, <laughs> because that's one I'm so familiar with. So worry is trying to give you the capacity to think clearly, but even more importantly, solve problems. Okay. Right. So if you think of worry as a problem solver, when worry is elevated in our life, it's a good question to ask, am I solving any problems with this worry? Yeah. A lot of times, the worry is the result of us trying to solve a problem that isn't ours. Exactly, yeah. Right? That's a big one. So how can we use that energy? Do a crossword, do a Sudoku, right? Something that allows you to take that resource and redirect it in a positive way. And Mm -hmm. I think often just simply asking that question, am I solving any problems with this worry? Right allows us to consider where the worry came from in the first place. And rather that is a problem that is ours to solve because oftentimes exactly. it's not. Yeah. Well, uh, and it, it, it feels a bit like, it feels a bit like, you know, recognizing, I mean, I think if I'm understanding this correctly from you, that, that recognizing that, that we all have worry, you know, about things that are not ours to handle, right? I mean, big, big things that most of us have no little to no influence over. Mm -hmm. So if we can find something. Of which we do have influence. Which which we do have influence over, then it's like, okay, (laughs) you know. Exactly, exactly. Um, You know, fear is another one. A lot of times, you know, fear is really a mover. It's designed to move. 
away from a, a unhealthy direction and forward toward a healthy one. A lot of times what happens when we build up fear, fear oftentimes is about existential things. What if this? What if that? Okay. Um, and interestingly, I actually I have I have two folds that I can talk about there, but that first yeah. one of the what if fear, oftentimes instead of moving us forward, right. pulls us inward. Right. Okay. So uh, a lot of times that the the question to ask about that when we feel the fear, is it moving me forward or pulling me back? Right. Right. And if it's pulling me back, I find some way to move forward. Maybe it's just going for a walk. Yeah. Right. Get that energy moving. That's what it wants to do. Um, the other thing that's interesting about fear is that it can be come up uh, in relation to uh, unclear boundaries. Mm hmm. So, you know, oftentimes with my clients, I'll discuss that with them because fear is about being able to create a boundary of health and maintain it, right? right. Which requires us to say no. Right. And a lot of yeah. times there may be things in our life that we're doing that we know are not necessarily supportive of us, but we are afraid to say no. Right. 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 So if you right. ask someone, why, why don't you say no to that? They'll say, well, I'm afraid of, and that's that fear speaking, but instead of it being a a movement, uh, a movement expression, it's become pathological. It's, it's turned us inward instead of allowed us to move outward. Right. right, right. So often my question yeah. with fear is, uh, my second question, right? Is there a boundary that I'm not maintaining? Right. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess that, you know, boundaries could be a boundary with something out there in the environment. And it also could be, I think, when we don't honor our own boundaries within us and our relationship with us. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think it's both. I think the, you know, the latter is probably the one that is foremost, the most important aspect about that when we're, we're not maintaining the integrity of our own needs and, and uh, balance, I would suppose, but absolutely. You know, a lot of times the, the boundaries are also about finding the environment that supports your health and your healing and your wellness and your optimal right. state of being. Right, right. And because, you know, the the lion's share of the the audience for this podcast are professionals in the healthcare field, yeah. I, you know, this just seems like such a ripe area for exploration for us. Oh, know, I to, agree. Was, yeah, yeah. And I, I know that you had- you've had decades of experience doing this kind of work. And I know that, um, that this is an important part of, of your work is this whole ability to be able to, um, continue to stay with the work that you are passionate to do. Absolutely. I mean, we're in a field that's rife with burnout. Right. And, uh, I mean, these last two, three years have (laughs) amplified that natural, Right. aspect of this work. And I think one thing that's so important to me and my practice is that that everything that I do is really about educating my client as well or my patient as well. And mm-hmm. uh, but I have a, a a motto that I share with my students that is I think important for all healthcare professionals and that is that I can only take my patient as far as I've taken myself. Right. And so much of my uh, support of my client comes from walking my talk and using my own tools. And uh, I think that the the field of medicine that I come from really honors the whole body approach to health. So the understanding that this physical symptom is a representation of so much more than what we see at the physical level, that likely uh, 
there is a you know an, a, a state of mind that's under stress that's influencing the chemistry of the body that is a, a result of environmental factors that is showing up here at the physical level and so so much of what i i do for my clients but i also honor in my own life is understanding first of all the impact that they have on their own health right by looking as you said at stress factors how can i learn to adapt with greater ease what types of things do i need to or can i um, address and work with and honor in right. the challenges in my life so it's more of a recipe of healing as opposed to a symptom focused approach right. and uh, so as a result i think education is really key but i i don't uh, deign to educate my client in something that i don't already embrace myself Right. And I think as a, a healthcare professional, not only are we surrounded by the challenges of our clients, but they mirror the challenges in our own life. And uh, it gives us an opportunity, I think, at times to look at how we address yeah. stress, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. how our health is a result of the need for balance and the right. importance of finding balance um, ourselves. I think the more uh, work that I do with my patients, the more work I make sure I do for myself. Right. Um, and I, you know, that at the end of the day, I think is the most important thing because we, we are only, uh, mm -hmm. useful to our clients. If we've walked that path ourselves and we are walking that path ourselves yeah. and understand when we need the support as well. Right. right. Yeah. Cause I think, um, when I was in, when I was still in private practice myself, it was fascinating to me that I would get whole periods of time that I would see the same kinds of concerns walking in the door. And, you know, when that happens, you kind of go, huh, <laughs> yeah. is it them or me, you know, kind of, kind of thing. It's so it's, we, you can't separate it, you know, you can't, you can't. And I think that actually, first of all, that's a gift when we're talking about emotion, you know, it really makes me think about the mirrored aspect of emotion right. In, right. in a, a doctor patient relationship or practitioner client relationship. And I often hear from students that they, they are, they'll say, well, I, I feel like I take on my client's emotion. And I always want to point out to them that your client is a mirror to you. So that emotional experience they're having may be triggering something in you that needs to be um, observed and gives you an opportunity to resolve something through which you're both resonating at the same time. That there's a reason that that person has been drawn to you in your practice today. And you meet together on a somewhat even playing field. And I think there's a gift in that as a healthcare professional when right. we understand that our engagement with our our patient is serving us in many ways as well. Absolutely. If we, you know, venture into looking at that very unique entanglement that occurs between a doctor and a patient. Right. Right. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's amazing. So I think again, it's an a yet another opportunity for us to, I mean, it's 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 an opportunity to use what we are gaining in our interactions as a resource for us as well. That's oh, ends up serving so. everybody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, you know, the sociophysiology of that relationship is, is absolutely a gift. Yeah. Um, sociophysiology is really looking at the, you know, the effective relationship on physiological right. and, and there's so much research in that, um, definitely from a complementary healthcare standpoint and more of a quantum healthcare standpoint. But now it's so nice to see articles, uh, peer reviewed articles being written about this 
field of study where we see, you know, the impact on um, not just the patient, but the the doctor and also a third party, you know, rather right, it's right. the, the uh, spouse of the, <laughs> of the patient right. Right? or the, who else is involved in that dynamic. Right. And I think that, um, you know, research is emerging. There are new paradigms of health emerging that are looking at that dynamic myself. It was part of my dissertation was to look at the impact of the state of mind and intention, so to speak, um, of the, doctor on the patient and vice versa. Right. Right. Cause it's always both. Always both. Always both. Yeah. I mean, so I always think that, that there can be some danger in the one way street kind of mentality that it's, it's like, I have to appear X in order to right without recognizing that it's always both ways that, that we're going to be, we're, we're, it's a, it's a two-way entanglement. I mean, entanglement is that, right? If I Am I correct on that? Yes, yeah. You know, entanglement really is a, a unique dynamic of correlation that occurs mm-hmm. within relationship. I mean, from a quantum physics standpoint, it's really looking at the dynamic of particles that interact right. or that arise from the same source and how even across time and space, they still respond instantaneously to one another. If we look at that more from a human perspective, it's a, a beautiful aspect of this type of work to understand that we enter into a unique relationship when um, a patient mm-hmm. comes to us for care, right? It gives us the honor of walking that journey with them. But when we also understand that that client is actually a mirror of us, <laughs> there's healing that can occur for us as well. And in fact, does um, on so many levels. And it's a huge area of of research. It's a huge area of study, but one that I think is just uh, gives us a, a deeper understanding of the gift of what it is to work in this field. Exactly. And when we observe that, I think we begin to to open up to and invite our own level of healing, of aha moments, if it will be. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that... Um that I think would be really interesting to address is the whole concept idea of how all of this, we've talked a lot about the, the neurobiology, the chemistry, all of that. How does that, when we think about the nervous system and we think about um, how our nervous system directs a lot Mm -hmm. of our experience, how does that kind of fit in or work with the whole concept of what we're understanding about sympathetic upregulation, uh, vagal tone, all of that kind of thing. Um, can you speak a bit to that? Of course. Well, you know, the nervous, the sympathetic nervous system, when it is activated into a fight flight response is a reactive state, right? right. So it's reacting in a way that right. there's a perception of danger in the environment. A lot of times we develop, um, reactive state to emotional surge right. and experience. Right. When we start to reframe or perhaps open the mind to question or to identify or to honor what that emotion is doing, the beautiful benefit of that is it can help us shift us out of a habitual reactive response and into what we'd call a responsive um, state of mind. So it helps to balance us out of that sympathetic overload or reactive sympathetic state into one that's more parasympathetic, where we can be responsive to the situation now, as opposed to reacting to past emotional experiences right. and 
they right. meant to us, right? right? And because that is, you're, you're kind of twofold here. Um, the the emotion initially may have been created in a parasympathetic state, but can activate a sympathetic state. Right. right? You can have it the other way around as well. A heightened sympathetic state creates a reactive mode. So that very chemical response is trying to move us from it can actually perpetuate it simply from reactive, uh, habitual reaction. Right. So I think one of the great gifts of beginning to think about these things differently um, gives us the opportunity when we get into a reactive emotional state to certainly question, is this being productive right now? Right. That simple question can help us to dial back often the reactive state. You know, there's an incredible power in the question. Yeah. And a lot of times the the reactive sympathetic response is based on past experience. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course, the more we push that sympathetic button, (laughs) the more sensitive it becomes, the more um, likely we are to go into uh, uh, perhaps inappropriate or premature state of reaction. Right. So I think this is a very important tool, especially when we are in a heightened sympathetic state to stop for a moment and question rather that is actually an appropriate response to this situation. Right. Exactly. And in doing that, we give the the moment, the opportunity to dial back that sympathetic reaction and to open the mind to one that's much more balanced nervous system right. response. Right. It's kind of like a retraining process. It right? is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. as you said, perhaps a lifelong, lifelong process, <laughs> not necessarily one that- Right changes overnight because we we are the re, re, we are the uh representation right. of every experience we've had in our past it comes with us mm-hmm. and does that mean that we are a slave to that no it means that we're standing on the shoulders of experience and perhaps this is a new level of wisdom of understanding you know what is this habitual response that i'm in and is it an appropriate one Mm-hmm. And could I better utilize this energy? Right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Tracy, I just think that is so fascinating. And I think that, uh, that if, if we could, if we could kind of round up just, you know, for the sake of putting it all in one space, cause we've talked a lot about many, many things that could be applied practically in mm-hmm. a day-to-day practice. But if you had to make a, a bulleted cliff notes list, okay. <laughs> How's that? I'm going to put you on the spot of, of what we could do on a day-to-day basis as providers, right? What can we do to take care of ourselves and take care of our patients and clients? What, what would you, what would be on that list? Well, I think it would, would very much be a similar list for both, you know, practitioners and clients. Obviously as a practitioner, we're going to educate our client in this way, but these tools are so important for us in our life. I think they're life-changing, actually, when we really open our mind to them. So I think first bullet point would be just to, first of all, start to consider reframing or redefining mm-hmm. what an emotional experience is. And just first be open to what is this trying to get me to do? Right. Um, I think secondly would really be about learning or I would say identifying, if we can, what that fuel is. Is this anger? What am I feeling right now? Is this fear? What am I feeling? Is this worry? Right. <laughs> is right. this grief? And then the third bullet point would really just be to understand what is the movement potential behind that emotion? So simply anger, productivity, motivation, communication. Right. Um, 
sadness, recollection of joy, uh, worry, thinking, problem solving, grief, releasing that that we no longer need, right? What am I trying to hold on to? And fear, creating boundaries, saying no when I need to, moving. And if we have like a key word for each emotion, it starts to get us to question the habitual, often resistance to the emotion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, a, a simple question, as I mentioned, is this anger being productive right now? Is this worry solving a problem? Is this sadness connecting me to joy or pulling me from joy? Right. Is this grief allowing me to release? Is this fear allowing me to say no or to move forward? Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, I think for me, that bullet point list <laughs> is is one I, I use on a daily basis. I know that I've, as I've shared it with my clients, I see that look on their face of I never knew that. I never thought of it that way before. Right. 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 And I guess the last bullet point would just be find something that represents that fuel. If you can't, you know, if it's uncomfortable, redirect it. Use it in a way that it is productive if it's anger, that it's joyful if it's sadness, that it's, uh, you know, problem solving if you're in a state right. of worry, if it's, uh, you know, cleaning, 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 right? <laughs> letting yeah. go of stuff if it's yeah. grief or, um, you know, moving forward if it's fear. Yeah, excellent. Well, I think that, I mean, that's a great starting point. And um, I think that's probably if I'm, unless I'm just like really, really slow, um, I think it's a lifelong process, is it not? Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, like a tip yeah. of a massive iceberg. There's so yeah. much I could share with you, but hopefully that just opens yeah, our yeah. minds to start right. to look at it differently. Exactly. And, um, you know, one book that I absolutely love, if your listeners like to read a little bit more about these topics is The Biology of Belief by Dr. Yes. Bruce Lipton. Wonderful place to kind of start right. with looking at these things a little differently. And yeah. uh, hopefully it inspires not only just a different way of looking at things, but perhaps a desire to know more. Exactly. Excellent. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciated the conversation. It's always great to connect. And um, I am really, really grateful for uh, the opportunity to explore this with you today. Thank you very much, Kathy. It's an honor to be on your podcast. And, and thank you again for the invitation. Absolutely. All Things Vegas is brought to you by Western Montana Area Health Education Center, working to recruit, train, and retain healthcare professionals, and in partnership with the Red Willow Learning Center, working to make resilient skills available to everyone. If you have an idea for a podcast topic or are interested in sponsoring an episode, please contact Robin Mokey at robin.mokey at mso.umt. Dot edu. If you didn't catch that, check the program notes. Thanks so much for joining us.